0: All right. <clears throat> Let's get going. We got just a, some stuff I want to share with you in my heart. First of all, I, I meant to say it earlier and I kind of forgot, but congratulations to the Knapp family who's finally going to get this daycare up and running. She's had to jump through many governmental hoops, and unless they find an extra hoop for you to jump through, it sounds like you're going to open here Tomorrow. Yeah, I was going to say, when they, when they don't show up to shut you down, yeah. So, if you have never gone through the experience of doing that, just avoid it. You really should. Yeah, I've had friends of mine that have done that. I've never had anybody say, oh, it's a wonderful process dealing with the government in every facet as you can imagine. So, so congratulations to them. So, you know, uh, I, I want to pick up where we left off last week a little bit, but I'm also going to share some things in my heart as we kind of adjust a little bit of where we're going. You guys know, I was down in Tulsa this last week, a whole family went down there, and uh, it was not without some challenges, but it's always good to get away, you you know, Winter Bible Seminar down there at Rhema uh, is a conference, we try to get to every year, we don't always make it, but we try to get down there every year. It's a time to kind of get away and sit under some teaching and and hear from the Lord and just kind of shut down a little bit. And when you do those types of things, that's where the Lord starts to show you some things, and when you quiet your mind, you quit thinking about all the stuff you have to do, because all the stuff I have to do is in Missouri. None of it was in Oklahoma, so it didn't do any good to think about it. And you know, as as I've been going through this and as I I shared a little bit of a testimony last week, and I'm going to share the finality of that, what happened to a friend of mine just recently, Um, it's just amazing as you begin to recognize something, and what you recognize in this alternate reality is, is who we are. And when you begin to see things through the lenses of Scripture, and you start to look at things from a biblical perspective, you see the world in an entirely different place. Because when you look at the world as a a biblical perspective, you see every day as an opportunity to evangelize. When you don't, you see every day as an opportunity to get to the next day. And what we're taught in the world is that you are to go to school and get a good education so that you can get a good job, so that you can have a good career and a good salary, and so that you can have a comfortable retirement. And you know, truthfully, none of that comes from a biblical perspective. There's nothing wrong with making money. And ultimately, there's nothing wrong with comfort except when you refuse to get uncomfortable. And in the eyes of God, in the way that we are, you see, what happens is, in this world, we earn everything. You have to. Yes, there are some people that get handouts, there's no question about it. Sometimes you come from a very wealthy family, and you inherit that wealth, and man, that's awesome. And sometimes you come from a very poor family, and you inherit that poorness. That's not as awesome. But ultimately, you are responsible for what you have in life. The decisions you make, affect everything and a decision that you make today may not have an an unintended consequences until years down the road I think back to my own life of decisions that I made I've made some really good decisions in my life I got married she kept me I don't know if you guys know this but this is one of my favorite stories in the world I am a bit of a jokester okay if you haven't picked up on the sarcasm I can already feel the heat and so I had this entire thing planned out uh, when the pastor says, do you take this woman to be your lawfully wedded bride? What I did, I'm not advising this, but it was hilarious, is I pulled a quarter out of my pocket and I flipped it, yeah, and just like then, it came up heads today, and I said, yes, I do, and what was funny in that moment is half the room was laughing hysterically and half of the room still doesn't want to speak to me to this day. I'll let you figure out which half was which. And it was between that and a magic eight ball, but I couldn't fit that in my tuck, so I went with a quarter. Um, But I mean, that was a good decision, ultimately, because it it obviously brought together a family and it brought together a couple, and we've been serving the Lord for now, uh, going on our 23rd year of marriage this year, which is spectacular that, A, she put up with me that long, and I'm not dead. So those are wonderful things, but, it's, it, but I look back, it's like, man, there's been a lot of good decisions that I've made through the life, things that were spirit-led, and then there's also been a lot of bad decisions that I've made in life that I felt were spirit-led at the time, but necessarily weren't because the outcome wasn't what I thought they would be, and, and both of those were a result of the decision that I made every single time. I can't blame anybody but myself, and so as I'm looking at this from a biblical perspective, as we begin to, to dive into a new aspect of this alternate reality, it comes down to who we are. Because when it comes to the things of God, it is not a result of who we are. It's not a result of what we've done. But it is a result of a decision that we made. You see, once you turn your life over to Christ, now suddenly we have a new image. We're created in the image of God. And we recognize that this salvation actually means we are saved from something. And we are saved to something. We are saved from death. We've gone through this. We are now saved from the wrath of God. Because of what Jesus has done, we are now set free from sin. We don't have to be sinful beings. Do we choose to be? Absolutely. I've been been in ministry for over 20 years now. I have counseled people on just about everything that you can imagine. And You know the one thing I've noticed is is somebody who's had an, an adulterous affair of some sort. It was never an accident. They didn't wake up one day with a girlfriend. Like, I don't know where she came from. That has never happened. It was a result of many, many decisions that led to that point. That maybe seemed innocent at the time, but weren't necessarily. You see, they didn't have to do that. They chose to do that. The problem is, is we live in a culture that has a victim mentality. And we want to blame a circumstance. But it always comes back to a decision. I mean, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but I'll I'll give you an example of this. I was growing up, I had ADHD before it was cool. And it was like off the charts. They gave me a test one time. And they were like, I don't even know how you get through your day. I had a teacher that was so convinced I was depressed that she took it easy on me. I did take advantage of that. I didn't have depression. She's like, well, you just always look so tired. I'm like, you make me show up at 8 o'clock in the morning. Of course I'm tired. But regardless, I took advantage of that. But I mean, it was off the charts. Like, we don't know how you, you can't sit still. You can't focus on anything. You have trouble getting anything done. And I was like, Yeah. And I had a guidance counselor who said, Chris, listen, you just need to get through life because you're probably never going to amount to a whole lot. I didn't like those words. That sounded like a challenge. And I just decided back then, it's like, you know what? I'm not going to let anything control me. This was arrogance, but it was true. I am not going to allow this or anything else to control what I do. And just like anybody else, there are days that a person struggles with just getting anything done or focusing and all of that, which is fairly normal, just about an any boy But... I was like, no, I am not going to let this thing control me. And so I had to discipline my life and had to make decisions. And I'll tell you the truth. I was kind of glad that it was there because it gave me the energy and the creativity to get some things done. Because we've been able to, in 20, almost 23 years of marriage, we've had some cool stuff happen. And I'm not saying it's a result of that, but I'm telling you what, I would not have had, you know, when I say squirrels with knives running through my head, that's not a joke. I swear they're there. I find them nuts every once in a while. Like, for real. And I am just like, nope, I'm not going to let this control me. Because I wanted to look at things from a biblical perspective. And it says that I have the mind of Christ. And if you take every thought captive to His obedience, well, if He said that, then it's got to be true. That means I have to be able to do it, if I choose to. I can choose not to. I can make excuses, or I can choose to do this. You see, the things that Jesus said matters. They're either true or they're not. The things of Scripture are either true or they are not. There really is no in-between. So I can live my life, as a lot of people will, and just get by and try to get to the next day, or I can live my life on mission because I read this crazy thing somewhere where it said, go in all the world and make disciples. And that meant something to me. Because I really felt like, I don't know, maybe we should be sharing the gospel every day. With somebody, in some aspect. I'll tell you a story. And again, I'm sharing some of the stories of the past so you guys can see, and this is going somewhere, I promise. I remember sitting in a VBS uh, a as a kid. Now, I grew up in church. And um, <laughs> I, I wore out more than one children's church instructor. Because as I said, sitting still wasn't a, a gift that I had. And, um, but I remember hearing... The words that we're saying. And the pastor at the time, I remember hearing what he said. I'm like, okay, I get this. And the thing that always stuck with me is you have to be saved. Now, I didn't know exactly what that meant. But I knew you had to be it. And so I'm sitting in this VBS. It's the summer. I have my best friend. He was a year older than me. He was about this tall. He was a very tiny man. We grew up to be a very tiny man. And uh, they said, how do you get to heaven? And it came out of my mouth so fast that before I even thought about what I was saying... He said, you have to be saved. I was the only one that said that. Everybody else was like, you have to go to church, you have to be baptized, whatever they said. This is not a VBS at my church, this is like a Berean church. And this friend next to me looked at me and said, what is saved? Now he went to, I think it was a Lutheran church, don't quote me on that. And uh, I'm like, well let's talk afterward. And I'm probably 10 years old. So as you know, I'm a theologian and understand all of scripture and have all the gospel figured out and all this stuff. And, and we went out to his mom's car who was volunteering there. And uh, we sat afterwards and I said, you have to be born again. He's like, what does that mean? I'm like, I'm not entirely sure. But I know you have to be it. And essentially you ask Jesus into your heart. I'm just reciting everything I heard. He's like, how do you do that? I said, "Well, you pray? And so we did. We prayed. And uh, I led him to Christ. Fast forward a little bit. It was my freshman year of high school. He was a sophomore, he was a year, year ahead of me. And then we went from that transition of between when I was in 8th grade he was in ninth grade. We kind of got separated. We were in different school buildings at that point. And then we'd just come back. It was kind of the start of the school year. Come back together, we were in band together, we were really close. We were hanging out, doing a few things together. And there was one day after school, um, his mom couldn't get off work to come pick him up. And we gave him a ride home. And this was either a Thursday or Friday, I don't remember. And uh, gave him a ride home. And uh, dropped him off, and we were talking. It's like, hey, man, let's go do something on Saturday. Let's go hang out. And I invited him to come to church with me on Sunday, but they went to their own church. And I said, but you're always welcome to come. And he's like, yeah, man, let's do that. We'll, we'll talk tomorrow. So it had to have been a Thursday or something. And uh, about an hour or an hour and a half later, a bunch of police cars and ambulance go flying by my house. Of course, it caught my attention. So I walk up over to the top of the hill, and there at the bottom of the hill was an intersection, and it had a tree row that was right there. That if you did not stop at the stop signs, you're risking your own life. And what had happened, his name was Mark. He was in a, a wreck that day. He went riding. Somebody else called him up, picked him up, took him for a car ride that day. And they blew through that stop sign. Somebody T-boned him. And he was killed instantly. You know where my mind went? VBS. So I went. I told my mom. I was like, I just gotta, I got to go talk to his mom. And uh, I just said, you know what? Because I was heartbroken. We just dropped him off. What if he just come to my house that day instead of going home? And uh, I said, I want you to know that he's in heaven. And she's like, oh, I know. But she knew from her perspective. He was baptized as a child, went through confirmation, whatnot. I said, no, you don't understand. In your car that day, I don't know if he ever told you, but we prayed. And he asked Jesus into his heart. And it brought her a sort of comfort, but it also brought me a sort of comfort. And as a freshman in high school, I recognized, man, every day matters. Like, what if I hadn't answered that? What if I would skipped that day? You know, VBS was in the morning. You know what Chris didn't used to like? Mornings. I was convinced that sunrise was created by Satan. Nothing needs to happen before noon. But what if I hadn't done that? Was that a spirit-led thing, or was it an opportunity thing? I don't know. I was 10. I don't even know if I said all the right words. But man, that decision, man, it mattered. See, I recognized something in my life that day. It's like, man, like this, this stuff matters. Because when are you going to die? When is this going to end? I don't know. And we've all in here lost loved ones or someone we're close to that they were too young to go. Every one of us. But man, that mattered. You see, I was taught, I shouldn't say taught, I was never taught this, I had picked up on this, is that you live out your faith and you basically answer questions when asked. You and I found out, is people don't answer, ask very many questions Oftentimes, They will, it can happen. Like the biggest tragedy that ever happened in the church is somebody who came up with the saying is, every day preach the gospel and if necessary use words. I mean, first of all, that doesn't make any sense because the word preach means to declare, so I don't know how that works. But we have to use words. I mean, what if I just said, you have to be saved? And he hadn't asked a question, or I said, well, we'll talk about it later or whatever. Who knows, right? And I'm not saying this to brag about what a great kid I was or anything, because I assure you, I was not a great kid. My parents will assure you of that as well. But it was one of those things where it was in my life that it caught my attention. It's like, hmm, this is interesting. And then I wondered, like, well, what if, what if the Bible is actually true? Like, what if this isn't just a series of stories and stuff that just put up and that they, they make us go into children's church to bore us to death with flannel graphs? You younger people don't know what that means. Or if I saw one more lousy puppet show, I was going to rip my hair out. Like, if you can't act, you can't puppet. Okay? Or if I have to listen to one more praise team with people who will not sing in the same key. I was a music snob. What if we lived our lives as if this is true? What would that do? You see, because of what Jesus has done, we are free from death and that matters. And we are free from the wrath. We're also free from sin. And all of those things should matter. And we do not live in fear. We should not live in fear. We shouldn't fear anything. Anything. I keep going back to this thing in Daniel. as I was reading that. When they, they threw the edict out. You know, whoever worships their God or prays to their God, be thrown in the lion's den. And every one of us would have been feared. It would have been all over sea and we had been afraid. We'd have been hiding down in the basement. Daniel, as was his practice, went up on the rooftop to pray. Nothing changed. He just prayed. He just kept doing what he did. Didn't matter. Didn't change him. Most of us today, the church today, would run in fear. Because the church today is very reactive. And it is not proactive. We are reactive to situations. We react all the time. But what if we began to get proactive? In other words, we're looking... For these opportunities to live our faith out. And when I say looking for it, it's not like we're out there looking for somebody to get saved necessarily, although we should be. It's just that, it's just part of our lives. Like some of you, you get up in the morning and the first thing you do is what? You go to the bathroom. What if your life for Christ was so automatic? What if we just treated it like that? I mean, that's what Daniel did. You look at the lives of the apostles, that's what they did. They weren't trying to be big shots. They were just being obedient because the word that we read is the word that they lived. And that meant something to them. And Jesus has some profound things to say. Because of what Jesus has done, now we have access to God. What if that was true? Like, we can come to the Father. We can enter into his throne room. We can find grace when we need it. That's interesting. No other generation before had that ability or have peace with God. All of these things we have, not a result of what we have done, but a result of what He did for us in a decision that we have made to walk in a covenant that He created for our benefit. See, the Mosaic Covenant hinged on the things you did, but the New Covenant, it's all about Jesus, what He did. And everything that was a promise of God is a guarantee if we choose to walk in it. And, and, And if you believe that, you have no problem accepting it. But we tend to turn the world. Here's a, here's a perfect example of this. Is that when you read in Scripture, you read the same thing that I do. That God heals. It's His will to heal. We'll get into that a little bit more later, but just understand that it is God's will to heal and we should be praying for the sick and all of that. And when we get sick, the first thing we do is go to the doctor. Take a pill. And if none of that works, I should pray about this. What if we reverse that? Doctors are good. Medicine can be good. It can be very bad too. But what if we, we just pretended for a moment that this word is true? You see, everything that is promised in this covenant, just like every covenant that came before, is a guarantee from God that, if, that we have the ability to walk in the fullness of it. Because if he promised it, but didn't equip us to do it, then it was of no value. Now, a good example of this is the promised land. He promised Abraham, This is the land I'm giving to you and your people, it's yours, I'm giving it to you. Now, if I gave you something, what would you do? You would take it. What did they do? He didn't take it. At least not immediately, and never in full. Because after all these incredible things that happened in Egypt, and they had gone through the Red Sea on dry land, and it opened up. And whether it opened up like we see it on, on the movies or not, I don't know. I don't care. I don't care if they hovered over the water. I don't care if there was a jet ski. I don't care how they got across. It was God that did it. And then they watched it all crash down on the people chasing them. And what happened then? In that moment, man, we're free. Like they were free when God declared it, but now we can see that freedom. And you would think, oh my goodness, God did exactly what he said he's going to do. But he probably won't next time. I mean, we sit here and we laugh at that. We do the same thing. And so now it's time to go into the promised land. What do they do? They send out some spies. Hey, go check it out so we can see what we're up against. What's going on? 10 of the 12. See, those guys are huge. We don't have a chance. 2 out of the 12. But God said. 10 out of the 12. Yeah, but they're huge. 2 out of 12. Yeah, but God said. You can imagine this is going on back and forth. Like it sounds real flowery when we read it in Scripture, but I guarantee you they're arguing and fighting and, and whatnot. And so a generation didn't get to go. And when they finally went in, they never even took all of it. They eventually got in, they got comfortable. They never took all that was promised. Still their land. All of it. Because God promised. See, when God told them, I'm going to pull you out of Egypt, they're probably sitting there like, okay, God, sure. You got it. And then he did it. Okay, you did it. But the next thing, not the next thing. And we laugh at that. We look at that like, oh, you're so stupid, you dumb Israelites. Why couldn't you just trust God? And you know what? We do the same thing. Because the one thing that, that God said about you and I is that we are redeemed. We were bought with a price. It means we should live like it. If it's true, we should act like it. I heard a quote this week, uh, I thought it was so good, is that God's greatest gift to us is His grace. That's true. It is His greatest gift to us. It's His grace that He poured out on us, that He sent Jesus into the world to die, a death that we deserve. But... In that, where we find our salvation and we walk in these things, God, our greatest gift to God is our holiness. Now that's not a popular word today. But Peter said, be holy because I am holy. Which means what? He's given us the ability to do so. But we choose not to. It's always a choice. It's a choice we make. Where we find salvation and walk in these things, nothing is more important than that, understanding this. And so as... We get into this here a little bit today. There's something that was given to us that we don't really seem to understand. That Jesus promised. Would everybody agree that whatever Jesus promised is going to happen? Is Jesus going to return? Does the entire church sit and wait for Him to show up? So we expect that, but we leave out all the little details in between. Is that fair? Okay, go over to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, we're going to start in verse 15. John chapter 14, starting in verse 15, it says, If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you i will not leave you orphans i will come to you now here's a question what did he just promise we're talking about the holy spirit he said he is with you and he will be in you was that a promise was that a guarantee so should they have been surprised no see what jesus said is that i'm going to pray the father and he's going to send you a helper he doesn't elaborate much in 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 john he does in other places and we see that take place in John chapter 20 verse 21 it says that so Jesus said again peace to you as the Father has sent me I also send you and when he said this he breathed on them and said receive the Holy Spirit did he, they receive the Holy Spirit did they believe it did Jesus do what he said he was gonna do he did ultimately you see we have to understand something The Holy Spirit of who he is and what he does. And you notice I keep using he. Because it's not an it. He's not a force. He's not a power. He doesn't make you do weird things. People do weird things. It's kind of like in the homeschool world. You know they say like homeschool kids are weird. No. Weird parents make weird homeschool kids. That's why my kids are awesome, and yours as well, and you're pretty all right too. Don't be awkward now, man. Yeah, so I mean, but you think about that, it's like we've got this idea of the person of the Holy Spirit, and we think we know what it is, and we think we know what it does, but we've never stopped to ask who he is and how we get there. So we're going to go through some verses. I read these last week as we started this idea, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21. It says, Now he who establishes is with you in Christ and has anointed us as God, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit, and our hearts is a guarantee. So is that what Jesus said he was going to do? That he said the Spirit. Yes. Is that what Paul is confirming here? Yes. And that Spirit has done what? He sealed us. That spirit is the guarantee. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> the guarantee of Jesus look at 2nd Corinthians chapter 5 verse 5 now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God who also has given us the spirit as a guarantee so we see it again so we saw 2nd Corinthians 1 we now see him repeat himself that the spirit was given as a guarantee so does the readers of this have the spirit or not have the spirit they do that is why Paul is addressing this they have the spirit Ephesians chapter 3 verse 13 It says, in him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. So you heard the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation, and then you believed it, and then you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So is that what Jesus promised? Yes, I'll pray to the Father, He will send another helper, you will be sealed. Here we go. He's a guarantee of the inheritance. It's like a down payment. The redemption of the purchased possession. What is the purchased possession? You and I, we are redeemed. Redeemed, think about it, you redeem a coupon. Romans chapter 8 verse 9. But you are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. In order for that to be true, the Spirit has to be in you. And as a result of that, there are things that happen. We're not going to get into all of that, but there are things that happen. Are all these verses true? Do you know that there are many more are those true so in other words we seem to have the holy spirit inside of us if the spirit of god if we are in him that's the big if so you weren't born with him you weren't born with the holy spirit but if you are in him you receive the holy spirit so did jesus just say something cute to get those guys out of his hair I mean, you're probably thinking that Jesus breathed on them. He was just dead not long ago. Hopefully he had a tic-tac. I mean, what, what, what do we do with this? Well, it's got to be true. You see, the person of the Holy Spirit matters. The person of the Holy Spirit is the triunity of God. He is not Father, Son, powerful force. The powerful force is the result of Him. But not who He is. Who He is, is God. And we have to understand that so that we can walk in the fullness and the power of the Holy Spirit. Because it matters more than anything else. Salvation, redemption, number one. Gift of the Holy Spirit, number two. There's two facets to that that we'll get into later. But you have to understand, without being sealed by the Holy Spirit, what are you? Lost. It matters. Now, we see in the Old Testament that the Holy Spirit moved prophets to speak. Look at Numbers chapter 11, verse 24. We always think of the Holy Spirit as a a New Testament thing, but He's all throughout the Old. I'm going to show you a couple of things. Number one, number 11, He moved the prophets to speak. Verse 24, so Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord. And he gathered the 70 men of the elders and the people and placed them around the tabernacle. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and he spoke to him. And he took of the spirit that was upon him and placed the same upon the 70 elders. And it happened when the spirit rested upon them that they prophesied, although they never did so again. So when the spirit came upon them, what did they do? They prophesied. They never did it after that. Verse 26, but two men had remained in the camp and the name of one was Eldad, and the name of the other was Medad, and the Spirit rested upon them. Now they were among those listed, but who had not gone out of the tabernacle, yet they prophesied in the camp. So they too prophesied as the Spirit came upon them. Well, okay, fine. We get that. Of course, you cannot prophesy. You cannot declare things to come. You cannot declare the words of God without the Holy Spirit. No problem there. But you know what? It wasn't just that. When we think of prophecy that the Holy Spirit came to do, to let us walk in these gifts. It was every facet of life. If you go to Judges chapter 3, the Holy Spirit also equipped man to rule. Verse 7, Judges chapter 3, verse 7. Now if you guys have heard me talk about the book of Judges, this will come as no surprise of how this works. Verse 7, so the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Duh. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and Asherah duh why would you do that it's part of their covenant do not worship any other God if you do what happens judgment comes therefore the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel and he sold them into the hand of Cushan rishathaim king of Mesopotamia the children of Israel served Cushan rishathaim eight years but when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord so what did they do they repented they're crying out don't think crying tears necessarily they're crying out to the Lord Lord we missed it what did the Lord do He raised up a deliverer for the children of Israel who delivered them. Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. The spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he judged Israel. He went out to war, and the Lord delivered Cushan Rishnium, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand, and the hand prevailed over uh, Cushan Rishnium. The land had rest for 40 years, then Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. So what happened? The Spirit of the Lord comes upon one who rose up to lead the nation and lead them out of bondage. That's all, that's all we know about Often That's all it tells us. But what did it do? It equipped him to do what God had called him to do. But it wasn't until they repented. Here's one that we often don't think of. Look at Exodus chapter 31. Verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, See, I have called my name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, and in all manner of workmanship to design artistic works, to work in gold, in silver, in bronze, and cutting jewels for setting, and carving wood, and to work in all manner of workmanship. Well, that's interesting. Prophecy, okay, yeah, definitely Holy Spirit, no problem there. Leadership, leading the nation. Okay, fine. I get that. Holy Spirit would be good. Handyman? Now, he had a pretty important job creating things for worship and, and whatnot. But I mean, look what he did. He filled him with the Spirit of God. So are you telling me that a craftsman can't do things without the Spirit of God? Well, surely they can. Yet it's interesting that this is what the scripture says. So is that true? So it seems to be as if the followers of God really seem to rely on the Holy Spirit for darn near everything. And there are others. We could go into more. We're not going to. You see, the Holy Spirit is a person. And when He indwells the temple, He equips them to do things that they might not otherwise be able to do. We don't know If this guy, Othniel, not Othniel, whatever his name is, Bezalel, we don't know, was he a craftsman before and just wasn't good at it and then became good at it? We don't know. Did the Spirit of God equip him? Obviously. Same with Othniel. Was he this reigning leader that everybody just thought, man, this guy's great? Or did God equip him? It seems to be that God always takes somebody who has to lean on him in order to fulfill what he's called them to do. Now, I've seen people take this and be like, well, I want to be a part of the worship team. Okay, well, can you sing? I can do all things through Christ. That's not the answer I'm looking for. I really want to play guitar. You ever tried to play guitar? Well, I can do all things through Christ. That's the only time I'll say, no, you can't. Oh, yeah, but it's the Spirit of God. Yeah, if... But we could practice just a thought. You see, the Holy Spirit equips us. When is it given? At the moment of salvation. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. And if that is true, then what is it that we can do? We can walk in life with no fear. We can have freedom from sin. We can have freedom from bondage. We can have freedom and all, but we have to walk in it. It's like the promised land, go in there and take it. We're going to take this little snippet right here. That's going to be good enough. We've gone far enough. We don't need to keep going. You see, there's all of these things about the person of the Holy Spirit that we often overlook because we look at Him as some sort of a force or some sort of a power. John chapter 16. Jesus said something here, and I want you to, as we read this, think from the, the disciples as they're hearing this. What their reaction would be. Because you already know the ending of it. You know what is going to be said. But imagine you're hearing this for the very first time. You've been with Jesus. Jesus is everything to you. I mean, they are willing. They gave up all their livelihoods and all of that. Walked away from everything they knew to follow Him. Are risking their lives to follow Him. He's everything to them. Look at verse 5. John chapter 16, verse 5. But now I go away to Him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. So they're sad because he said he's going away. They're sad. Understandably so. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Now imagine, Jesus is everything to them. And he says something so blasphemous that it's better for you that I go away so that you will receive the Holy Spirit. Think about that for a moment. Like, we kind of take that for granted. But he was everything to them. It's for your benefit. So what does that mean to us? Are we in a better position than they were? Apparently so. Many of us, I've heard this said for years, have said something to the effect, it's like, man, if I could have been there at the time of Jesus to hear what He said and to see what He did, that would have been incredible. And then He goes to say something so crazy, no, it's better that you didn't. It's better that I'm gone. That doesn't make sense. Verse 8, and when He has come, He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they do not believe in Me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Now that's interesting. And we will expand upon this later. But it says that when He comes, He'll convict the world of sin. Of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because of what? They don't believe in me. It's the ultimate sin. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. How are we righteous because of what Jesus did? And judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Now I want to camp here for just a moment. I want to finish the story I started last week. You know, I told you about this friend of mine who just two Sundays ago gave his life to Christ. A man who I grew up with. I have shared the gospel with him. I don't know how many times I get a message from his wife that he would say, this is the man that was in prison for attempted murder. He was my best friend growing up. Um, even up until probably five, six years ago. Uh, we'd gotten together. He'd go through a rough time. I've helped this man out tremendously, financially, emotionally. He's on wife number three, I think. I've lost count, but I think it's number three. Uh, just a disaster, but just great guy. He's one of those people, and everybody has him in their lives like, it, my life would be so much easier if you weren't in it, but I just can't get away from him. One of those kind of guys. Just great dude. And I loved him to death. And I have shared the gospel. And every time I'm thinking, oh, man, I think he's getting it. I think he's getting it. But he couldn't get past this, all the bad stuff he's done. And he kept comparing himself to me, all the good stuff that I've done. I'm like, dude, you don't understand. There is nothing good. And so as I said, his wife messaged me last Saturday. Um, he's like, I thought you would like to know that, that Ben got saved. He's getting baptized today. Today. And of course, I was excited. And she used the right terms. It's like, man, are you even going to a good church? I don't even know any details. I hadn't had an opportunity to call him. Well, I called them on my drive to Oklahoma last Sunday. Let me tell you the testimony that he gave me. Now, you've got to understand Ben. Uh, ben is a nice human being, and he really would do anything for anybody to help somebody out. He's just that kind of, kind of a guy. But reprobate, you better believe it. See, this now, it wasn't a lack of belief that God existed. There was no question there. It was a wrapping the head around that. All you have to do is say, I'm sorry. And ultimately, it came down to, if God is real as you say that means that the way I have to live my life matters and I kind of like doing what I'm doing now and I don't want to give you any of the gory details that goes into that but it was not good and so he said he, he I didn't even know he was living in Louisiana he moved to Arkansas I didn't even realize that until Sunday and uh he got hired at this company and this company uh sent a, uh, or was a manufacturing company of something. I don't remember what the tagline was, but um, essentially that faith was in the tagline. And as he got offered the job, he's like, oh my goodness, what am I doing? Am I gonna get browbeat with the Bible every single day? And so he was hesitant, but he needed the job, had to support his family, so he took it. And his immediate supervisor, who was training him, um, you know, just asking where he's from and all of that kind of stuff. And he's like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm from Nebraska originally and, and whatnot. And I started trying to share the gospel with him. He's like, listen, man, I don't want to be rude, but he's like, I'm not really interested in any of that. He's like, well, that's cool. And he's, you know, he's like, but I appreciate it. He's like, no, listen, man, if you don't want to talk, I'm here. And uh just was just always nice to him and always would try to drop hints and things like that. But kidding didn't really want to do it and then it turned out that he was renting a house from a guy who was good friends with him and they happened to attend the same church and as he started to rent the house the landlord was like hey man if you don't have a church to go to you'd be more than welcome to come to our church and ben's like uh i don't know how to say this nicely but i don't go to church and i mean as far as your concern i i worship for like we'll just leave it at that The guys like hey no problem man if there's anything i can do for you do it, and he said, as I kept working with these guys and dealing, like he's like these were genuinely nice people, and they're always doing nice things. He's like, and to be honest, and this is exactly how he said, it, he's like, the only genuine Christians I've ever met in my life are you and my grandmother, like who lived out what they said. And it's kind of like a guy named Jim Wallace. He was a cold case homicide detective, but he was an atheist for a long time because his whole world revolves around evidence. And when he'd ask his cop friends, like, why do you believe in God? It was always like, oh, well, you just got to have faith. Well, that doesn't go very well in a court of law, and that was the world he came from. And the only two people he met that would call themselves Christians were the cops that he worked with, whose whole world revolved around evidence, but they couldn't give any for the existence of God or the truth of scriptures or anything like that, and the people that he was arresting. Those were the other people. You probably can relate a little bit to that last part. He works at the prison, if you didn't know. And so Ben's like, he's like, I mean, that was the only two, but these guys were just genuinely good guys. And he's like, my son, as soon as we got there, he's got a son who's about Isaac's age. I think he's, he might be 14. And uh, was having a hard time at school already. And uh, so they pulled him out and homeschooled him. And uh, he's like, you know, we've got to do something for him. He needs the social aspect because this kid, I mean, he's just wired. Again, ADHD probably comes right on. us. his dad's crazy. So he's like, well, I know it's important to you. Let's go to church. Just understand, I'll go, I'll sit there, but that's it. And he did. He went, he sat there, and they were excited to see him. He's like, listen, I'm here. I'm just here. It matters to my wife. It's good for my son, but I'm just here. And they were like, man, that's cool. And was like, hey, we're having a Bible study on Monday night if you'd like to come. He's like, no, no, no. He's like, I'm just here. He's like, okay, yeah, but I just wanted you to know. I'm like, oh, we're getting together. We're going to have a meal next week if you want to come. He's like, well, I do like food. And so they went to that and stuff. And he went for several weeks, and he kept... He just kept hearing the word. And it just kind of got him thinking. And he said that last Sunday, he was sitting in the pulpit, or not in the pulpit, in in his pew. It's a Baptist church. And he says as he was sitting there, he's like the overwhelming reality of his sinfulness hit him. And that like his entire life, he's 42, 43 now, his entire life, has been all for nothing because it's been self-serving. And he said, like, there was this heaviness. And he's like, Chris, I don't even know how to explain this. But it's like, all I know is I'm standing up and I'm walking down to the altar. And I don't know why I'm walking. I'm not. It's like I'm not in control of my body. I'm just being pulled down there. And I went down there and I hit my knees and I just started bawling. This man doesn't cry. Attempted murder, y'all. Not exactly a sensitive man. And all of a sudden, there's 25 men that come up and put their arms around him and start praying for him. And he just he's like, I don't understand it all. I don't get it. And it's the last thing he said. But you were right. I told you, man, 30 years. I get emotional about this. Because everyday patterns. But what was he experiencing? I will convict the world of sin the Holy Spirit drawing him. You know, there's the, the verse is that some sow and some water, but it's God who brings the harvest. 30 years. Here's some more seed. Here's some more water. Here's some stinking manure. What else is it going to Here's some cash. What's it going to take? Some sow, some water. It also says that the harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. You know why the laborers are few? Because we preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, we use words. You see, that's what the Holy Spirit does. Now let me finish this. Verse 12, I still have many things to say to you but cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All the things the Father has are mine, therefore I said, he will take of mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit is everything. He's everything to us. Once we are saved, he is everything to us. We have to have him at the forefront of our life. We have to walk in the fullness thereof. I want to read you guys out of Zechariah chapter 4. Zechariah was a prophet. He's declaring things that are going to be. In verse 1 it says, Now the angel who talked with me came back and awakened me as a man who was awakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, What do you see? So I said, I am looking and there is a lampstand of solid gold with a bowl on top of it. And on the stand, seven lamps with seven pipes to seven lamps. The two olive trees are by it, one at the right of the bowl and the other at the left. So I answered and spoke to the angel who said with me, uh, with me, saying, What are these, my lord? And the angel uh, who talked with me answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my lord. And so he answered. And I want you to watch this. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Well, who was Zerubbabel? Zerubbabel was the one who rebuilt the temple. After the Babylonian captivity it was destroyed, they come back. He rebuilds it. And the young people were excited At that time when it was rebuilt. Because they had never seen a temple. And the old people were not excited. Because this was nothing compared to the lavishness of the previous one. There might be a lesson in there somewhere. I don't know. But what did the word of the Lord say? Not by might. Nor by power. But by my spirit. Says the Lord. Who are you O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel you should become a plain. And he shall bring forth the capstone. With shouts of grace. Grace to it. Not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit. What did Zerubbabel do? He was filled with the Spirit to rebuild the temple. You see, this is what we call the anointing, set apart. The person of the Holy Spirit. God indwelling us, equips us with the ability to walk in the fullness of the new covenant. But we have to choose to do so. I want to show you something out of Acts chapter 5. Verse 1, just to show you this, to hammer this last point home. This is not a happy story. This is a sad story. This is a, duh, why'd you do that story? But a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira's wife, sold a possession. Well, stop. So this is when they were all coming together. There was some persecution going on. Everybody sold what they had in chapter 4. And they brought it together and they gave it to the apostles. And they were kind of, it was like a commune, if you will. They were taking care of each other. So Ananias and Sapphira, they had a possession. Was it land? I don't exactly know. They sold it, and he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why Have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to who? Who did he lie to? The Holy Spirit. Not a force. Not an it. He lied to God. This is the part of the Holy Spirit that we've got to get to understand. is who he is and what he does. What our relationship is with him. This is what matters. You see, when they had that possession, was it not theirs? Yeah. When they had that money, was it not theirs? Yeah. And we don't know all the details of what happened, but they chose to lie to God. And ultimately, it cost them, as you well know. See, they made a choice. You see, we make a choice. Are we going to believe what God has said? Because I can tell you umpteen stories. In fact, let me share one more with you. Many years ago, I had a tenant. She was a junior high uh, band director. This is over in Auburn. We had this little rental house, and she moved into it. And uh, we loved this guy. She was great. And uh, she was in the Catholic faith, okay, which means you go to church twice a year, and then you do what you want from there. And, um, you know, got along with the great, my my sister at the time was in her class, and they loved each other and stuff, and she was a great tenant, and... um, I was always looking for ways to share the gospel with her and then one day I went over there to the house talked to her about something I don't even remember what it was and all of a sudden I had something from the Holy Spirit and he showed me something that she had dealt with some depression and some bad things that had happened in her life and she began cutting but she wasn't just cutting like you typically see like a wrist or something like that she was cutting behind her legs so that nobody could see it because that's how she was dealing with it and um, it was weird and that's kind of a big thing to jump out there with and I just said can I just be honest with you for a minute she's like sure I said you know I I don't know where you stand in all of this stuff but I said you know uh, I'm a born again believer and I believe the Holy Spirit leads us and sometimes he shows us things and sometimes he shows us things that aren't pleasant about people and things in their lives and and it's like I want to share something with you and you tell me I'm out to lunch and crazy and we'll, we'll move on with life and you just keep paying your rent and life will be good we'll all be happy and, and I told her that whole thing I said you know it seems like you're going through a lot and your way of dealing with this is you're cutting yourself but you're not doing it how you would typically see you're actually doing it behind your leg because you're ashamed of it and you don't want anybody to know but you don't know what else to do she immediately started bawling she's like how did you know that <laughs> I'm like I don't know how did I know that the Holy Spirit Like when you're in tune with the Holy Spirit, things like that happen. But we have to have our antennas up. We have to recognize that we are in community with God at all times. The fullness of God. Is that a promise from Jesus? Absolutely. Should we believe that promise? How many of you guys want to lead somebody to Christ? I mean, like, every day. Wouldn't we love that opportunity every day? But what if we just decide, oh, today's not the day you guys know how many gospel conversations i've had in this town true like the preaching of the God, probably 12. i remember the first time it happened it was the first open one i finally got somebody that would open up and start talking to me about these things and you know how many people have been saved as a result of those 12 gospel conversations zero you know what it might take another 30 years and they might move to arkansas and they might meet somebody and who cares Now, a lot of people are just like, well, I just got to stop. You know, I tried, I failed. You didn't fail. There's a part in Acts where Paul just got his teeth kicked in. He's in prison. he had been out there sharing the gospel, the false accusation. He's in prison. Most of us would be like, well, that was a bad day. That didn't go the way we thought. We had this evangelistic opportunity. Nothing went the way we wanted. And then Jesus appeared and was like, hey, Paul, great work. Now I need you to go to Rome. What does a life full of the Holy Spirit look like? We're going to begin to dive into that. What we're going to do now is we're going to receive communion. Because this is also something that Jesus said. You go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It's in verse 23. You see, what we're doing here is we're recognizing what Jesus has done for us. And the reason we recognize this is because we believe the word. We believe that Jesus died. We believe that he was buried. We believe that he was resurrected. We believe that he did all of that. And we believe as a result of all of that, that we are now walking in the fullness of God, that we are now redeemed, that we are, I guess, living a life with Christ in us, that we are full of the Holy Spirit, and that we have no doubt of where we're going. We have no doubt of our eternity. And we also begin to walk in the fullness of that, what God has promised. You see, this is a symbol of this covenant that I've been talking about. These covenants matter. Every covenant matters. And this is a covenant made between the Father and Son on behalf of us. And He was so anxious that He wanted to eat this one with His disciples because this net result, not the eating, but what was to come, is what brought us that peace. No more sacrifice. That's what brought us access. That's what brought us this fullness of what we can have. Verse 23 of 1 Corinthians 11 says, For I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. And that's what we're doing. When we do this, we check our hearts. Man, Jesus, you did this for us. This is our way. We're taking a moment to remember that. And not just remember it, but remember what that entails. The promise of the Father. Let's partake together. Oh, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for what you have done and how you sent your Son on this earth to die in our place that we can live for you and that you have equipped us with everything necessary to walk in the fullness of this covenant Lord I just pray that as we get ready to go that you are opening our eyes and opening our minds and softening our hearts to understand what you have created us to be that we not get hung up in the things of this world. That we become not carnally focused, but spiritually minded. That everything we see and everything we do must filter through this covenant that you have made and that we are a part of. And that every promise that you have given us is something that we should be walking in the fullness of, Lord. And I thank you that we are starting to realize this. That this will be a people whose lives will be absolutely transformed by you that we will go into this world and we will make disciples. Father, we give you all the glory In your mighty name we pray, amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you Wednesday.